Welcome back to Death Watch's Call of Cthulhu campaign, Descent into Darkness, Season 2, Episode 17. I am Travis. I will be your keeper today. Last we left off, Monroe and Dr. Andrews were delving into obscure matters at the Widner Library, and Monroe had just come across an interesting note that he has not yet been able to read. Meanwhile, Professor Mueller was digging into members that belong to the Church of Contemplation and Our Lord Granter of Secrets, trying to find some of the more details on them. And Whitmire was MIA last session because John wasn't, couldn't make it that time. So what you had been doing, Whitmire, was changing your whole wardrobe and look um, because you have a heightened sense from all your criminal activity of when when the uh, hammer's gonna fall. So you made off, got some new clothes, and when you did that, you you know, you picked a, a tailor at random, and you picked out what you wanted, and you shook his hand, and he gave you the secret handshake from the Hermetic Order of the Silver Twilight. And he said, the first one's on the house, sir. Please tell all your companions. So you had been laying low because of the attack by the interdimensional hunter, it had never occurred to you to have to watch those angles before, but now you do, and you were thinking it through. So before we get back to it all, we'll get an introduction from our investigators and their current thoughts or state of mind. Uh, we'll start with you, Chris. Hi, I'm Chris. I'm playing Johan Mueller, retired history professor, and I thinking about heading check uh, titles I believe right now boring work I'm Brandon playing Dr. Andrews and uh, right now I'm in the library and pouring over some old tomes trying to learn about a couple of ancient Egyptian fellows named Nasht and Common Thaw and as I was doing that I came across a frog statue and decided to keep it to see if I would have the same dreams that Monroe told me others have had when they're in possession of these frog statues. I'm Justin. I'll be playing Lance Monroe, a museum curator for the occult. And right now I am holding the Liber Ivanis, a, a grand tome of occult traditions in one hand. In the other hand, I'm holding a letter from Mr. Merriweather that had fallen out of I'm John playing James Whitmire, and I am feeling relieved that uh, I may have shaken at least some of my problems. <laughs> All right, we will begin today with Mr. Whitmire. So that night after you had dropped everybody off at the hospital, I suppose you thought that 
Dr. Andrews was in good hands with Finn McCracken and Betty Williams by his side. So you took off. Uh, where did you go? Did you want to go use that, that hidey hole that you go to lay low in? You did it once before this time, I think. Yeah. When you were... Okay. So when you go to sleep that night, you are having a variety of dreams you often have where you're, you know, running your bootleg liquor or making some sort of deal or spinning some sort of story that you want a police officer or some other authority to accept. And every decision you make just seems to complicate matters and make things worse. And you're only one step ahead of it all collapsing down on you. But during these dreams at various points, you have seen a stone stairway that is out of place with the architecture that you may be in. It has a they're great big stone blocks, and it has an ancient feeling of construction to them. And they sort of beckon you towards them. And they seem out of place with the other events that occur in your normal dreams. What would you like to do? Well, at first I'll try to ignore it, but curiosity getting the better of me. I'll end up uh, going down the stairway or up, whichever way it goes. Okay. Yeah, so um, you go through half a dozen different scenarios in your dreams, each time this stone stairway leading down appearing, and finally you travel down it, uh, and when you reach the bottom, you think you've traveled 70 steps. You're not sure how you arrived at that number because you don't consciously remember counting them as you went down, but it leads into a wide cavern in the center which burns a huge flame, and standing by this flame are two old men, and the, the word sages sort of pops into your head as a way of describing them, as they are dressed in robes and Egyptian-looking crowns. And behind them is a passageway further down that beckons you forward. But as you enter, one of them says, Enter and be welcome. I am Nasht. And the other says, I am Common Thaw. We congratulate you, Jimmy Whitmire, on finding the way. All right. Well, I'll uh, stroll towards them, you know, like I own the place. And, and uh, <laughs> these guys aren't after me. Yeah. I'll just tell them, it's like, well, it was only a matter of time. You, know, you, you can't, uh, you can't really keep me out of anywhere. They incline their heads, allowing, as that might be true. Yes. But before you may pass the gates of deeper slumber and they gesture to the, the stairs behind them, they, uh, they walk up to you and, and peer into your eyes, uh, examining you. You have this sensation of your innermost soul being laid bare and exposing all of your multitude of deceptions. Finally, Nasht says, you are worthy, and the two priests retreat and bow. So suddenly you become aware that there's an ornate Malachite table that you're fairly certain wasn't there uh, before, but it's uh, next to this roaring flame in the center of the cavern, upon which are three loaves of bread, a jug of water, and a length of shiny, somewhat crystalline wool. And you suddenly become aware that you're naked. Well, I'm not going to let that damper my mood. As I'll uh, distractedly say that, uh, as I knew I would be, and start walking up to that table. Okay. So, yeah, you... uh so you didn't see it before, but set of clothing appears on there, and it would 
It would be whatever you would wish to wear in that moment. Is that in place of that wool? No, no, the wool remains. You're not sure what the wool is. It just looks like wool. All right. See, I'll, uh, I will kind of turn back and, and ask if they're still there. Um, I'll ask what, what are these? What are they for? Food and water and mana. The mana is edible. Mm-hmm. Please take these. They are to aid in your journey. I'll uh, give a shrug and go ahead and uh, grab some of the bread and eat some and uh, drink a little bit of water. And uh, it, I'm a little confused with the mana thing uh, as far as, like, is that supposed to be the wool? So I will try to eat that. Yeah, so the bread is, is still warm and it's a crusty exterior, you know, soft interior. The water is sweet and quen- quenches your thirst in a way that's never happened to you before. And the mana is is difficult to describe as it not only does it have the sensation of eating food that nourishes you, but it seems to run deeper than that as it puts you at a state of ease. Now, when you picked up one of the loaves of bread, you see that there's a small dagger or knife that was underneath it. All right. Well, I'll, uh, I'll start putting the clothes on and I'll make sure to pocket that knife as well. And which kind of clothes did you... So it'll be, uh, I think it, I'll, uh, go with like a, like a 1920s, uh, not street tough, but maybe like, uh, street captain, right? So a little bit better well-dressed or a little bit more well-dressed than, uh, just your average, you know, work jeans and, and, uh, pullover shirt. All right, so once you have all your items gathered, the uh, two sages, you know, just with a flourish, beckon you towards the descending stairwell. Of course, the one you came down is still there, and you may return up it if you wish. Uh, I've got to see what's at the end now. All right, so you head down this unknown passageway called the Gates of Deeper Slumber by the two sages, and it leads to a long spiraling set of stairs winding downward and here you find yourself counting them and you descend 700 steps before you reach the bottom which is gated but you realize that the surrounding tunnel starts to resemble wood it changes from the the cavern that you were in you can with a botany or natural history or a education role you could identify what kind of wood you're looking at yep that's wood I think I'm going to have to go education. Yeah, so you you realize that it's oak that surrounds you. And as I said, at the bottom of these stairs is a gate set in an elaborate arch. And beyond lies a deep, dark forest. All right. I'll uh, try and summon up as much false confidence as I can and uh, arrogantly stroll into the deep, dark forest. Okay. So you do have that sense of foreboding as you step into it. Uh, This does not have the feeling of any earthly forest as all the trees are colossal and and twisted and they grow in odd ways. And daylight, if there is daylight, has difficulty penetrating the interwoven branches overhead. There are glowing fungus or fungi growths that are providing light and you have difficulty telling if that's the only source of light, or if there are indeed shafts of daylight here and there. And as you travel onward, 
you occasionally hear fluttering flute-like noises and an insistent faint gibbering. And yes, there, just behind the twisted gnarled tree, you see a shape duck behind the tree. Just a small shape. Some creature, perhaps? I'll, uh, I'll pretend that I haven't seen it <laughs> and uh, keep walking, but I you know, keep my eye out for anything else like that. Okay. So yeah, as you're scanning around and walking, you see glowing eyes amongst the limbs that make this interwoven canopy, and they're all peering down at you. And finally, you see one of these little creatures in the path there, if you can call it a path. It uh, is small and brown with a rodent-like body, and it, but it has like a human, human-looking face, and it has hands rather than, you know, talons or paws or anything, although they do have sharp nails on them. And uh, you can see there's some sort of like, or a set of pseudopod-like appendages that dangle from their snouts, and they kind of writhe out as though they're testing the air. But it is looking at you curiously. I'll, uh, I'll ask it if it's here to lead me. So it cocks its head, but it doesn't seem like it understood you. All right. I'll, uh, I'll pull out some of that bread and toss it its way. Okay. So yeah, it comes forward and it eats the bread. You know, it's uh, kind of unsettling because it picks it up with all two human hands and this human appearing face, at least above the snout. And uh, those pseudopod-like tendrils writhe up and there you see, you know, razor sharp teeth, which it nibbles the bread down very quickly and then looks at you for more. As it all, comes uh, up. So I'll, I'll bring out a little bit more and tell it to lead me to wherever I'm supposed to go. Okay. So it cocks its head again, and with its curious human face, gives you a look, and then it turns around and goes down the path around a gnarled tree. All right. Is that uh, still on the same path that I was taking before? Yeah. Uh, to describe it as a path, though, it would be an exaggeration. It's just a part of the forest that you can traverse without climbing. Game trail, okay. basically. Yeah, I'll uh, follow it then, uh, keeping an eye out for for anything else. Okay, as you uh, come around this gnarled tree, it's posted there on its haunches, only it seems to have multiplied as there are now four others with it. All right, I'll take out a little bit more bread and break it into uh, quarters, and then I'll throw it off the side of the path or the path that I can traverse without climbing. Okay. So um, three of these creatures come forward towards the bread, but one of them has been considering you, and it opens its maw, and it cries like, almost like an infant's cry. And this has some disturbing effect, at least physically, and in, in how the sound enters your ears. It seems to be causing you pain. Can you give me a power roll, please? Oh, very nice. Critical success. Somebody's play, paying the blood price later. Uh, yeah, he's <laughs> taking all the luck again. <laughs> okay, so we will say that you're not sure. There's, there's some odd extrasensory ability you have here. There's something you're detecting beyond your five senses. And as well as this thing assaulting your ears, it was coming in this other way. And through some secret reserve you didn't know you had, you pushed back at it, 
And this causes all these creatures to squeal and flee up into the trees and disappear out of sight, leaving you alone in the forest. Okay. I'll, uh, I will continue on my way, uh, kind of whistling softly to myself. Okay. Yeah, so your journey continues, and while the rustling sounds you expect of these creatures don't entirely fade, when you reach the edge of the wood, they do finally disappear. And beyond is a sweeping valley with, you see a village of some kind laying in the bowl of this valley with odd, oddly constructed buildings and strange creatures, as well as human-looking creatures, at least as far as you can tell from this distance, moving about. But then you hear a noise behind you and the sensation of movement, and you wake up in your bed that morning. Although despite the oddly disturbing nature of the dream, you feel very refreshed, rejuvenated even. So from that point, you um, you went on to get these clothes and get yourself situated, situated, and you waited for this feeling to, to pass. And before we started, I asked you who you wanted to come in with, and you wanted to uh, appear with Professor Mueller at the records. Is that right? Correct. Okay, so we'll pause with you then, and we will head over to Mr. Monroe in the library. <laughs> with the book. <laughs> Picking up the paper, an errant gust of wind blows it out of your hand to the next row. No, just kidding. <laughs> so you have it um, held out before you. You've unfolded it, and this is what it says. So the date on the letter or note was Sunday, September 15th, 1912, addressed to Mr. Carl Wilkerson. Thank you for agreeing to help and for your interest in our humble investigation here at the Society for the Exploration of the Unexplained. These days, it seems all too common that students such as yourself are drawn to the sciences. While they are a noble pursuit, it is refreshing to know that young minds still seek mysteries in the old ways. As you know, I am looking into the apparent suicide of Robert Ramsden, an author of fantastic tales. His widow was kind enough to provide me with his suicide note, in which he mentions that he will pass the gates of deeper slumber for all time. Through separate research, I have found this term to appear in a rare tome, the Liber Ivanus, or Book of Ibon in its English name. To my delight, I found that the Widner Library kept a copy. However, rarely do these investigations run in straight lines, and I find myself at odds with an aggressive and unscrupulous book dealer, also in search of the tome. Evidently, the Liber Ivanus can fetch a hefty sum in certain circles to a degree that these book dealers' tactics made me fear for my safety. Not wanting to lead the man directly to his prize, I called in a favor with the faculty and had the tome binding switched so as to obscure its location. It was a rather simple ruse, and I have some concern that it ultimately may have failed. This brings us to the matter at hand. Within the stacks you will, God willing, still find the Liber Ivanus masquerading as the Grand Grimoire. If the book is indeed still there, please forward me your findings on this gate of deeper slumber. As a small side matter, if you happen across symbols matching those included with this letter, I would be very interested to learn of it. However, it is of secondary concern. Do not fear you will cross paths with this book dealer, as he has no cause to track the movements of Harvard students within their own library. 
Nevertheless, should you have concern for your safety, then please abandon your search. Above all else, your health is paramount. Best regards, Rupert Merriweather. And while you're considering that, would you give me a power, a hard power roll? Mm. Nice. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Nice. Okay. So to put us back into this place, Andrews had been with you for a little while and uh, he had gotten a telegram that James Clark had been apparently kidnapped by two men while having breakfast with Dr. Call. Mm-hmm. And. With some annoyance, Andrews had waited for you to ensure that that was the book before he went out to arrange transportation away from the library. So we're in that narrow space where Andrews has gone upstairs to get this transportation. When you hear footfalls behind you and you hear, Mr. Monroe, how are you doing? Doing quite well. How about yourself? I'm doing well, but I have some news. Due to certain events, the consortium wishes to speed up our schedule. Have you found a suitable replacement yet? Uh, Perhaps among the Harvard students that had performed the rituals. Do you have more details? Uh, Not many. No, we have someone taking a look at the uh, remaining students that are mentally fit. Our consortium has many assets. Among Harvard. Perhaps that is not a good place to look. Well, surely some students dabbling in dark magic can be sacrificed if the young Dooley boy could be. He kind of looks at you for a second. He's, I wonder about you, Mr. Monroe. Are you made up of the same stuff as your companion, Mr. Mueller? There are other, faster ways to impart knowledge. Any gestures at the book, you know. I'm not sure how you feel knowing you're holding the Libra Ivanis, but he doesn't seem to be reacting to it in any way. Do you care to test yourself? In what way? Well, my people have a much more proficient way of learning information. And he produces a nondescript, unlabeled book from his pocket. It's all in here. <laughs> I can almost feel Monroe drooling at this point, <laughs> but he'll uh, try to play it calmly. He says, I'd be open to taking a look at the, that tome. Is it comparable to the Libra Ivanis? Hmm. What do you know of the Libra Ivanis? Well, I've read through parts of it. At, uh, Where? At another library. Which library? One up in northern Massachusetts. I must know its precise location. Well, I don't know if it's still there. And his eyes kind of fix on your book for a second. He's like, and what are you doing here? I'll close the book and I'll hold up the grimoire cover and I'll say, I was hoping that even though this drivel is mostly nonsense, that it may contain some information that I require. So um, his heightened state seems to uh, abate somewhat when you show him the cover as the grand grimoire. And he's like, I must know the precise location of the Libra of Honest. Which library? Which town? Um, so could I make an education role to, uh, think of another college up in Northern Massachusetts other than the Arkham? Well, you can think of one. You don't need to make the education role. Okay. I guess the the trouble would be in selling it. Okay. Because we have to, we have to account for whatever this particular situation would put Monroe into as far as stress levels and and things like that. So 
if you want to throw them in that direction, you could do it with uh, one of your social skills, be it charm or fast talk. I don't think you're going to have the time for the full-on persuade, though. Yeah, yeah I guess I'll try give a shot at the charm. Okay. Mm. Oh, that's hard. No, I would have succeeded that if it was a normal. Okay. Too bad. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. You have no idea how long I've been looking for that book. Well, why didn't you just get Walter Corbett's copy? He his... mentions in his diary several times that he learned all of his secrets from the Libra Ivanus. We did have Walter Corbett's copy. It's incomplete. Oh, well, if it's incomplete, could you perhaps let me take a look at it? <laughs> he kind of chuckles. Before I consider that, perhaps you should consider my proposal. Have a seat over there. Well, could I perhaps take it back with me? I'm afraid I have a, an engagement that I need to go to right now. It will take no time at all. Okay, uh, let's let's pause for a moment here and have Andrews come back. So you're walking back down the steps into the stacks after arranging transportation to arrive and sending off any necessary telegrams, perhaps. Mm -hmm. And uh, you see Peter there, your helpful librarian, is in a little nook working on his on some papers, and uh, you hear him sort of babbling in an odd way, like the words he are he is saying. Don't make any sense. That sounds like English, but it's all mixed up, like made up words. But you also hear the conversation that Monroe and an unknown person are having, drifting from amidst the stacks. All right. So, but you don't have a sight light on. And that's that's all I've got so far. Is just Monroe's talking with somebody. Yeah, and the I sh I shouldn't say it's just like. This guy's talking funny. There's a particular way he's doing it. And when you look at him, the way he's reacting to his own speech that, uh, you know, makes you think of mental trauma or something like brain damage, right? The way... Um, the guy that's babbling. Yeah, the, the way that yeah. speech can get mixed up. He knows he's talking nonsense. Right, yeah. Like, he, like he's like saying something and then he's like, that's not what I meant for my mouth to say. Okay. It's the sense that you're getting by the confusion and rising horror on his face. And what is this guy like? Did I see him before? He was helping you with these books this earlier. Is that same yeah. guy. All right. So is, there's no one around this guy. No, and he's not aware of you. He's he's lost in his his own situation. And as I said, you can hear Monroe talking to somebody, but you don't have a sight line on it. Has yeah. he started eating papers? <laughs> well, we'll see what okay. Andrews decides to do. <laughs> All right, so I will, um, like, once I realize this guy's having some sort of issue, then I guess the first thing I would think would be maybe a stroke, right? So I'll go over to him, like, go up to him, and I can't remember his name, but I'll be like, whatever. <laughs> Librarian. Are you, are you okay? Yeah, as you make that approach, he's like, conflabble, and he stuffs some of these papers he was sorting around into his mouth, and he just starts chewing on them. And he looks at you with a pleading look on his face. Yeah, so obviously I'll I'll try to stop him from doing that, right? Like I'll pull the pages away from his mouth. Sit, you know, so it's you know, sir, are you okay? Come with me. Sit down. Yeah. So by the uh, the, I'll actually let out a yell. In case there's anybody else down here for help, right? Okay, so for you, Mr. Monroe, uh, he pulls that book 
back and his eyes sort of narrow and he's like, who's with you? Just another of the member of the hermetic order. He was here. And what did you yell? Like, um, specifically, we need some help over here. The man's, um, having a stroke or, you know, something like that. Oh, yes. The librarian will be fine in a while. Perhaps you should call me your friend. What was it that you did to him? Just a little thing. It has some unexpected consequences from time to time. Okay. Um, I'll hold out my hand for the book. I should also mention at this point that you have this rising sensation of the event that you're currently in, uh, currently in becoming more and more vivid. Like all these details pop out at you. All your senses are, are like honed in. Uh, anyhow, so what did you do? So I'll, I'll hold out my hand for the book and I'll, I'll say, I can go speak with him and, <laughs> and then I can take a look at your book. Take a look at it now, Mr. Monroe. I'm afraid this is a one-time offer, and time is always a factor. Very well. So I'll take the book. <laughs> All right. Hard pow roll again. Two. <sighs> nice. Okay, so you open this book, and, you know, much as when this occurred with Mr. Mueller... You begin reading it in the normal way, but then it seems as though the words and the information contained therein begin to press on into your mind at their own speed. In fact, you're turning to, you're not going in a linear fashion. You, you'll find yourself flipping to a different page to get new information. And all at once, it overcomes all of your senses, and you're actually in another time and another place, as near as you can tell, where you see a vast hall of non-Euclidean architecture where humans, servants by their dress, and priests, but with the heads of snakes, walk on stairways and paths that defy gravity, where you see one priest flanked by two servants walking above another priest who's just underneath, traveling in the opposite direction. And then you can see distantly, at an on angle, another traveler going up a set of steps. In whatever perspective you now inhabit, you wait for these priests to pass, then you steal away to a passageway that gives you all the sensations when you enter it of looping back around to whence you came, yet it leads into an empty chamber that is curiously devoid of all right angles. In the center is a little yellow metal box whose hinge stands open revealing a polyhedron shaped black stone with crimson striations that seems to flicker with an inner light. Powerless to resist, as you now come to this conclusion that you are in the perspective of someone or something, you come close enough to it to stroke its glossy surface. And when you do so, a voice whispers to you, I know you. I know you, Mr. Monroe. And you... Know me. Come find me in the dark. Find me, or I will find you. Do you think you can run from a god? <laughs> then the terrible presence of some unseen force, impossible to describe save the overpowering and all-encompassing image of a three-lobed burning eye in a substantial darkness like that of smoke, consumes you. Now, Dr. Andrews, nobody's coming to your call. All right. And then you heard the conversation 
continue, but it's gotten quiet now. What what would you like to do? All right. So, uh, like, I've got this guy, like, seated now. Like, I was going to angle him towards the chair. Yeah. Down. And he's following your instructions. He seems to understand what you're saying, but he's in the state of panic as as he's still grabbing for more. He's trying to stuff as much paper as he physically can into his mouth at this stage. Okay. Um, yeah, so like I'll have him sit down and I'll call for help, but when no one comes, then, um, you know, because there's not a lot of people down in this section normally anyways. So then I'll just, once I've got him seated, I'll dart over towards uh, where Lance is and yeah, say, come on, I need some help with this guy. We've got to get him upstairs. So you, you head in that direction and these uh, rows, you know, run for dozens of feet. And when you come around the corner, you see Monroe there as uh, this unknown figure plucks a book from um, Monroe, who seems to be focused inward on something else, plucks the book out of his hand, and then he catches your eye down the row and tips his hat and starts walking briskly away. Like he took a book away from Right, Lane. yeah. Um, but like from this distance, can I tell that like Lance is not himself physically he seems to be okay but he's just staring off at some fixed point on the bookshelf and he's not really moving or blinking okay yeah so i'll just start towards him and say lance i need your help with this yeah so mr monroe you kind of snap out of it with andrews you know asking you for help with something okay and you see uh you can still hear the footfalls of the retreat the man, but he's gone out of sight at this stage. Okay. And I wasn't really imparting any kind of knowledge or understanding or anything from that. You remember it. Okay. It just didn't drive you insane. Mm. Okay. Um, but yeah, I'll take a moment to kind of gather myself and where I am and what's going on now. Dr. Andrews, is everything all right? No, the librarian, he's having some sort of an episode. I need help to get him upstairs. Yes, the uh, consortium member mentioned that he had done something, and although he he said that it would pass and the man would be unharmed. Well, I don't know anything about that, but he's trying to stuff papers down. He's, come on, and I'll, like, grab him and start pulling him back towards that guy. And I'll, I'll be kind like of choke that, to death, that you know? stumbling walk of someone that's still a little unsure of where they're at. Okay. So with uh, Monroe and Toe, you head back to... Oh, I, I want to make sure I have the... You still have the, the library bonus. Yeah. Uh, he, you make it back to that librarian who, by the time you get back to him, is sort of spitting out the paper. And he's still trying to talk to you, but it's jumbled up. And he only gets every third or fourth word as the correct English word in its correct place in the sentence. So yeah. he does seem to have improved to some degree. All right. Well, uh, yeah, this is the man. So let, help me get him upstairs. Well, do you remember the... Uh, habit that Mr. Nichols and his wife had. Yes, just like that. And he was stuffing paper in his mouth. Yes. Uh, I have a feeling that this will lessen over time. As I spoke to Mrs. Nichols the other day, she mentioned that they had both uh, passed that point of, of trouble. Well, so I'll look at that man again and see, like... We just need to keep him from he was injuring himself. Starting to spit the paper out? Yeah. All right. Uh, when he gets everything out of his mouth, he has this moment where he sits bolt upright and he blinks 
and he looks at you um, with surprise at you suddenly being there. And he's like, oh, did you gentlemen need help with something? Snuck up on me. And then he kind of looks confused at all the sodden bits of paper spat out on the desk. Yeah, I came upon you stuffing paper into your mouth and I couldn't I couldn't get you to stop and you were saying some odd things babbling mostly I how do you feel I don't remember any of that I was just sitting here working on my studies and then you guys were here well perhaps you you need to take a break from your studies it's not uncommon for people under high stress situations to have moments of uh, stress related incidents I feel like I've been through this before. <laughs> <laughs> well, then, my good fan, perhaps you should uh, take the rest of the day off to to recuperate and, and rest a bit. Yes, I, I think I'll do that. Did you guys find everything you were looking for? Yes, yes. Okay, so there is uh, the issue of getting the book out of the library, because generally only the faculty and students can check things out of the Widner Library. Yeah. It is open to the wider public to, you know, use their room. Um, yeah, I'll see if I can try and... Do I have time for Persuade as we're helping this man up? up uh... um, that would be entirely up to Dr. Andrews, as he's the one who put the need for urgency when he got his telegram. Just put the whammy on the guy. Yeah, somebody, <laughs> somebody has abducted Mr. Clark. All right, well, let's let's take this man upstairs and make sure that he's okay and... And then we'll we'll hurry over to the other, over to the order and talk to Doctor Call to see what happened. And I'll I'll try and you know persuade the man as we're you know helping him. Okay. Well, let's pause on you guys for a moment and head over to Professor Mueller, who has been scouring the records at Central Records, and you found death certificates for the other two members you knew the name of, and you were wondering about certain properties and thinking of taking a jaunt over to another government building to get to the root of that. Mm. But do you realize, as you've been going along, someone who is vaguely familiar to you has been going to the same areas you have been, and this is the second time you've caught him glancing, glancing your way. Uh, you can make an intelligence roll for me. Intelligence. Yeah. <laughs> nice. You guys are rolling great tonight. Oh, it's going to come back to bite <laughs> yeah. us so hard. So his face, although not his name and the circumstances in which you saw it, uh, comes into your head. And you recognize him from the Boston Public Library last summer when you were doing something very similar, looking into things regarding the Corbett House investigation. And uh, you'd seen him looking at you then or paying attention to you. And you wanted to talk with him, but he slipped out of your grasp mm. because the uh, keeper <laughs> cut seeing you out of there. Um, but yes, here he is again, the very same man, separated by a year, paying awful close attention to you. But while you're thinking about that, you hear the voice of Jimmy Whitmire at your elbow, maybe giving you a start, maybe not. So Whitmire, what you had done once you felt well enough to get back to it as you had stopped by the Hermetic Order of the Silver Twilight and you asked where you might find your companions if they had been in and you learned that they had indeed been in although they didn't know to where you had gone or where they had gone but then no Redding the 
parapsychologist, do you think it was, said that they had gone, he made a big show of it. He's like, I get the sense that they have gone to a library or perhaps another repository. Yes, Central Records. I would check there. All right. And uh, that's where he sent you. And and there you are at Mueller's elbow as he's so kind of uh, looking off. Yeah, I'll kind of like crane my neck and just ask him, what what are you looking for? <laughs> yeah, I'll turn around real quick. And when I see it's Whitmire, I'll take my hand out of my uh, my jacket. <laughs> <laughs> but at first it doesn't look like Whitmire. It looks like a gentleman. <laughs> Maybe I'll leave it there. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'll kind of stare at him real hard. Oh, who are you, young man? Yeah. You know me. I'll take my hat off as if that's going to make a difference. <laughs> it might, I guess. Uh, oh, oh, Vitmaya. I'll, I'll thump him like on the leg with my cane. <laughs> you gave me a start, boy. Uh, uh, no harm intended. As I'll, I'll still be craning my neck, though, like to uh, try and figure out what he was looking at. I'll turn back uh, that direction. Yeah, you both see the guy suddenly move his eyes down to a, a file cabinet that he's going through with his fingers. He was looking at you, but then he darts his gaze downward. Uh, I believe it was our old friend that I'm looking at. Uh, give me a second, Herr Whitmire. Yeah, and... Uh, it, is this just set up in like stacks, basically, like just rows? Yeah, pretty much rows of All these right. tall cabinets. Because I want to make my way around, uh, kind of outside of the the site of Mueller and this other person, as partially to get close enough to hear what they're going to be talking about. But in case that that guy tries to pull anything with the old man, okay. All right, so you kind of move up uh, to sort of flank and get within earshot and Mr. Mueller. Yeah, I'll hobble my way over there, leaning heavy on the cane. So yeah, he's, he stares intently into this file cabinet, although you realize he's detected your approach because you're not being quiet and there are all the grunts and groans that go along with an old man traversing mm-hmm. a perfectly flat and easily traversable piece of terrain. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yes, well, so you're right beside him and he's staring ever intently and he's paused on, you know, one one part of the filing cabinet. A man wonders what type of answers would exist within that filing cabinet for one to stare so intently into it. Uh, excuse me? You heard me. You're, well, you're well, young. Your ears are sharp. Well, I uh, I imagine the same as, as you would find. I would not stare so intently into the filing cabinet. Well, I, I, this is... This is out of the ordinary. What what purpose do you have talking to me? I'm doing my my re, re research here. Oh, I'm quite studious myself. What research are you doing? What what are you getting at? I'm this is just, a, a private matter. I'm just merely asking questions, making friendly conversation. I I I I say you get to the point, sir. The point? What is the point? Why are you talking to me? I just wanted to see what the young man was doing here in the most boring part of uh, of uh, this. Uh, oh, where am I? R- repository. Central. Well, uh, well, well. 
tending to my own affairs, as as we all should. What were you doing last summer following me at the library? Yeah, he's kind of like flabbergasted and he just... Don't anger me. I'll shoot you right here and now if I feel necessary. Did you want to put an intimidate behind that? I'm going to pull the gun. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) All right, so um, Whitmire, you hear the tone shift in Mueller's voice. Are you going to remain where you are for now? Yeah, I'm going to see where this goes. Vink of Betters, ask you a question. You answer it. So, yeah, are you, are you you pull it? Yeah. Okay. He kind of looks around, but everybody else seems to be engaged, and he's like, look, look, a guy, I don't know who he is, but he has a f- funny habit of, like, sucking air through his teeth when he talked. He, he paid me to keep an eye on records. He, he gave me your description, and he just told me to report on what you were doing. Mm. Maybe, maybe even get a look at what records you pulled. Uh, I'm just supposed to r- write it down oh. and and take it to an address and just set it a- oh, on the table there. Calm down, boy. I'll put the gun away. <laughs> so, yeah, so you're hired to follow me? Yes. It's You just paid me ten bucks just f- for today. A lot of money to risk your life. Very well. You can follow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, were you going to do something, Whitmire? Yeah, um, and it, as they're uh, finishing up, I'll I'll come around the corner, and uh, next to the guy on the other side of him, and uh, start asking him about the the person. Because is he describing uh, what I would assume is Mister Black? Yeah, both of you guys. Um, Can I kind of gesture for Whitmire to just drop it? <laughs> okay. Yeah, so you get uh, a bit of innuendo from Mueller there. You know, just as you start to formulate your questions, we can pause right there and you can determine if you want to alter them or carry on. As I'll, uh, I'll just ask him if he's done with that file cabinet. Mm. <laughs> uh, yes, I, I, uh, I, don't, I don't want to follow you anymore. Um, I would just like to go go. go. Unfortunately, I believe I must insist you are risking your life, you know, as if you were to return empty-handed to the man who paid you. I just I just am going to go home now, and oh. he tries to sidle away. He knows where you live. D- no, he doesn't. I, r- I responded to a cl- 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 classified. That's mm. all uh, out of the corner. Just say he, he knows where you live. <laughs> how How would anybody know? I just write down what I see. I take it to the address. I leave it on the table, and that's it. And don't worry. You will be able to write down everything that you all needed to write down. He will be happy and pleased, and we will part ways. Okay. So he um, pulls out this notepad he he had tucked down into the filing cabinet, and he's like, "Uh, okay. And he goes to write something, but his hand's so shaky that he just makes a few scribbles and then he's got to, like, get away from it and calm down. Anyway, uh, Herr Whitmire, I believe that uh, my investigation is done here and I am to go over to, uh, what was it, Keeper? You're going to find uh, somebody in the Boston government that deals with, I believe it was, what they do with uh, city-owned lands. Yeah, um, so I must... Uh, Head to another location to find uh, who is the current, uh, or what the current plans are with 
uh, a property, an estate. I uh, forget his name. I'll reach for my own notepad. <laughs> yeah, so you had those notes. Actually, that... I'll check his. <laughs> I'll see if he has the name written down. <laughs> he wrote down the which cabinets you went into, so how they were sorted. Mm. So we'll, we'll say they were going by alphabetical last name in the uh, death certificates area. So he had like D through F. What was it? Was for it one uh, of them and then Ellsworth or Murrow? Ellsworth and Murrow. Uh, there, Ellsworth. <laughs> we are going to check the estate owned by the government for Herr Ellsworth. And what they plan to do with the lot. Do you want some company? Of course, Herr Whitmire. Your absence was duly noted and missed at the, this breakfast this morning. I'll uh, kind of brush some non-existent lint off my new shirt there say so that i had other other matters to attend to and by the way the first one's free and i'll just start walking out whistling uh, so you want me to just follow you yes follow i get nervous when someone follows me in secret okay he wa- he walks away leaving the filing cabinet open okay yeah then we'll head over to uh <laughs> next government building uh, that deals with uh, such things. So he keeps a sort of a revolving, you know, four to six feet behind you guys. You know, sometimes he stays up on the closer end and then he'll lag a little bit. And uh, you guys are both getting the sense that he's looking for this opportunity to bolt. Um, with a successful psychology role, you can anticipate it before it happens. All right. Let's see how I'm doing. There we go. With my, I know all it. about Bolton. <laughs> yeah, he. Uh, you're you're so familiar with it because this is often sometimes how you look to other people, and you see he's. Uh, you've crossed the street. You're partially across it, and he's thinking about just bolting back the way you had come, and he's about to do it, Whitmire, and you see it coming. What do you do? I'm gonna stop in the street and wave him on. Okay, he says. He pauses for one moment. You know, his heel was twisting. He's like, no, no, I got to go. <laughs> and he starts running. So I'll uh, look to Mueller and ask him, he's like, do you want me to go collect him? No, we have more important business. Let the idiot seal his own death warrant. All right. So he flees back across the street and then down the sidewalk and into some passage between two buildings and out of sight. All right, so while Whitmire and Mueller make their way to find out about this property, Monroe and Dr. Andrews have been working their way out of the stacks, and you have this book, and you're with Peter, the librarian, trying to convince him that you should be allowed to check out the book. Mm -hmm. And he, he says, well, look, I'm putting, you know, my position here at risk, you know, that that's the rules. I don't know what you want me to do about it, Mr. Monroe. Like, what can I do? So, uh, he'll need a, you'll need to pass a hard persuade in order to get him to change his mind on it. All right. Here we go. Uh, do I want to? Yeah, that's when I'll, I'll spend the 13 luck on it. All right. So, he's kind of winces and he's like, all right, but I can't log it because I don't so we just got to use the honor system. Mr. Monroe, please do not make me regret 
lend in here this book. I most certainly will not. The, the library treasures its collection here. So it's been a trying last few days. Will that be all? <laughs> for me, I, I assure you that is all I will need. And you shouldn't have to deal with me for quite a while, as long as I have this book at my disposal for the next little while. Yes, uh, please at least check back in in a week or so. I uh, surely will. I'll start to wonder about it otherwise. But with that taken care of, you uh, walk out with the grand grimoire. <laughs> Actually, the Liber Ivanus, Book of Ibon. And there, Andrews has arranged, I suppose, a taxi in this case. Yeah. For a direct line. And that person is waiting out there now, sort of looking at the faces coming out of the library. And uh, when you approach him, he, he's like, all right, ready to go. Where are we headed? Yeah, so we're going to go, like, he was abducted out of the lodge? No, no, he was having, well, it was tough to tell. I mean, you could make that assumption, but all that Dr. Call said is that they were having breakfast together when two men came and took him away, basically. Yeah, so but, we, need, we need to go to Dr. Call then. Yeah, he said to meet me at the hermetic right. lodge, right? Yeah, so that's where we'll go. Okay. I'll be like, go to the hermetic lodge of <laughs> learning... <laughs> where was that? The silver <laughs> tongue devil. I just go. Oh, I know where it's at. Not too far there. Nice place. What do What do they do there? Nothing. Just a social club. Social club. What's that like? Uh, you play bridge. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah, I'm a pretty good bridge player. It's a karate club. Karate. Yeah. What is that? You, you wouldn't understand. A far eastern <laughs> oriental martial art. What is that like? Uh, some mysticism or something, karate? And, you know, he talks the entire journey there, giving you no moment of rest unless you use a strange eldritch power on him to silence him. Well, I just need to use Monroe's natural ability to <laughs> talk right. over anyone. Just reach out and stroke him like you stroke the jewel. <laughs> <laughs> I'll shut him up. <laughs> oh, oh, you're thinking about what you... Um, you saw in there this image of this three-lobed burning eye and uh you're also thinking of the symbol that you saw around the church the one with the like three walls yeah. with the eye in the middle okay and you can see like now that you have those two images in your head you can see how one although there are aspects to it that are beyond the ability to say put in words or to even draw but you could see how it could stand in as a representation of this strange term that was impressed upon your mind of the three-lobed burning eye. So yeah, you're kind of thinking that over, but in short order, as the lodge is, you know, across the Charles River, just like Harvard is, you guys are there and uh, seeing yourself in where Dr. Call is eagerly awaiting you in the entryway, and he seems to be in a state of panic, and his relief is pitiful when the two of you enter. He's like, oh, Dr. Andrews, I'm so glad to see you. Mr. Monroe, you too. There's been a terrible event. Terrible, I should say. Yeah, what, what, Dr. Call, please calm down and tell us what happened. Oh, I tried with all of my might and all of my power to summon up the courage to stop these men, but I, I couldn't. We were just having breakfast across the, the Charles River. Can I, like, stop him? And say, well, let no, let, no, no, Mr. Monroe. This is very important. I, I understand it's very important, but we should find a more 
discreet location to have this conversation. Perhaps we should grab a drink and find a private room? Oh, dear me, where is my mind? Of course you're right. Yes. Yes. A drink. Yes. Yes. I'm, I'm sure all of us could use one to calm our nerves. Okay. So are you, you want to take him over to the uh, the bar? Yeah, I, I thought I remember there being like a, a room off from the bar that was... Uh, there's um, the storage room, the storeroom. Let me get you guys out here. But yeah, are there any like private rooms that we might be able to find in? Well, you do know there are those reception rooms off to either side of the foyer there, which are likely to be unoccupied. Okay. As they're usually just used to meet with non-members. All right, yeah. Uh, grab a drink from the bar and then head to one of those. Okay. Yeah, when you head over to the bar, um, you see Logan Terry is in there drinking. I can't quite remember your interactions with him. I think just a very terse conversation where he thought little of you. But you guys parted in in yeah. better ways than it was during the middle. So if you want to alter your course. I will stop by his table. Because he had, he had sent me to look at disappearances at Harvard. Yeah. And I'll, I'll let him know that I've just returned from Harvard and... You know, the investigation on the two missing persons up there is underway. Well, hey, ain't that something? What'd you find? Uh, not a whole lot yet, but uh, it seems as if some of the students up there have been, you know, playing some pranks around town. Well, I appreciate you looking into it. You're not liable to muck that up too much. No, I'll kind of, <laughs> I'll, I'll kind of take the hit on that one and, and just kind of say, well, you be sure that if there's something to find out, I'll, I will find find out what I can. Well, hey, why don't you join me? Well, I'm afraid I, I have a, a meeting with Dr. Call right now that uh, is scheduled beforehand that I'd, I'd like to get to. But perhaps after after I meet with him, I can stop by and oh, have yeah? a small chat. What's that little toad up to? Well, you know, ever since his wife passed away, he's been looking for a hobby. And, you know, we've been talking with him. All right. Well, enjoy your time. And... As you get get your drinks or they're served to you, you know, he just gives you a long look when you walk away to to return to the other two. But uh, meanwhile, I suppose, Andrews, you know, you're just kind of sitting there with Dr. Call in this reception room. Mm -hmm. And um, he has taken Monroe's advice and he's remaining quiet, although he's sort of rocking back and forth on his chair there, sort of bouncing between excitement and uh, a look of guilt. You would think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I'll just, um, you know, I'll just try to reassure him. I'm sure you did everything you could, but let's wait for Monroe so that you don't have to tell the story more than once. Right. Uh, yes. You're a doctor. You're not meant to be, you know, engaging with ruffians. Well, no, no, of course not. But I thought, surely I was made of sterner stuff than that. I, it's a uh, qu quite a dash to the ego to find oneself confronted with such uh, such a situation and, and just to be frozen in place. I, I have no account of it. I like how the doctor with a fairly high brawl is telling him that. <laughs> 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 All right. Um, so, uh, so Monroe comes back with, with the drinks or if you wanted this, the, if you wanted to just order them and have this, the serving people bring them back, you could do it that way too. No, I'll, I'll bring him back. Uh, af yeah, after I talk, Logan Terry, and he dis you distribute those, and you know, Doctor Call takes a big gulp of his, and uh, 
smacks his lips and then sort of looks at you guys. I'll hand him mine. <laughs> his drink, he drinks that one too, and he's like, ah, there we go. <laughs> Much better. I, if they had found me on such a state, I, I surely would have done better for myself. So where was I? Yes, we, we had just gone to eat uh, across the Charles River in downtown Boston, just, uh, you know, one of those little breakfast places. And we were sitting there when two men came in. Uh, one was a largest sort of fellow, I should say. Uh, the other, you know, he kind of looked like he was always on the verge of maybe about to grin or something. He did the talk and the other one was quiet. You know, they just asked him, are you James Clark? And James Clark said, I am. And they said, you need to come with me. And he said, no, I'm not going to be doing that. I have quite a busy day. And then they said, we weren't asking. And then the bigger guy grabbed him and hauled him right out of the restaurant. And I'm so terribly sorry. My wits were all scattered. And I, I did not think to even pursue or, or get a plate. I, I cannot believe that I have done this. But uh, I did see the car. It was a, a Grant 6, I, I should think. And they, they sped off. Do his uh, descriptions of the people remind us of anyone? Uh, they do kind of trigger something for yeah, you, Dr. Andrews. I was going to ask if it was, like, I'll describe those. Um, well, you can actually do better than that, as you actually have mug shots of those two men. That's true. Yeah, so I'll show him those. Yes, yes, those were the men. I knew it. Who are they? Um, a couple of uh, hired muscle for uh, Frank Wall that work for Frank. Was it Frank Wall? Yeah. Yeah. And they have uh, approached me before intending to intimidate me. So um, Dr. Call rises to his feet and sort of puffs up his chest with his drink held in his hand. And he says, well, then that settles it. We must go and talk to Francis Walsh and get this matter resolved as gentlemen do. And I pledge my service to you. And I promise I will remain stalwart this time. <laughs> Gulp. <laughs> There's no other course of action. Surely you gentlemen see it. As in point of fact, Dr. Call, I disagree. I don't think it's smart to approach a man as dangerous as Frank Walsh is purported to be. He looks... uh Certainly not with accusations or uh, angry tones. He looks sort of devastated and settles himself back in his chair, deflating somewhat. And he's like, oh, yes, and I suppose we don't actually know where they are. This is a matter for the police. Have you called the police? I, I didn't think to do so after our last conversation. The illusions you gentlemen made had me somewhat concerned that oh, only people within the order could be trusted. Yeah, that's true. There are corrupt police officers as well. If if even the people in the order, you know, I do have to say, Logan Terry accosted me the other day. He was very interested in the whereabouts of Mr. Whitmire, but in this matter, I assure you, I stood resolute. And I said that even if I knew the whereabouts of Mr. Whitmire, I would not tell him. Mm -hmm. I am sworn to secrecy. At least that's the impression I got. Well, you appear to be more stalwart than you give yourself credit for, my good man. No. If you no. could face down Logan Terry and not give him up any information, then you are truly made of stern stuff. I'm afraid not. Today has been a red-letter day. 
Oh, woe is me. <laughs> <laughs> well, fear not. Uh, the disappearance of a lawyer of his stature will surely not go unnoticed, and it may be even a little too much heat for Francis Walsh to no. just have him disappear. You, you gentlemen keep saying this, and uh, Dr. Andrews, I, I have not heard of Francis Walsh myself, or at least not much about his reputation. I, a criminal of some sort, I have gathered. Uh, but but what is this you're talking about, this this reputation? Why is he a man to be feared? Why can't... Isn't that what men do? Isn't that what separates us from the apes? We go and we talk to each other and resolve our dif- differences? Well, Francis Walsh is known as the scourge of Charlestown. Oh, dear. It's a frightful well, name, I should he say. He has a cutthroat reputation. And while you are correct that civilized men discuss their problems and resolve them through words. Unfortunately, not all men are civilized, and some of the criminal underground of the city would rather solve things in another way. And his two men, Quinn Doyle and Sweeney Byrne, are the men that you described have already tried to intimidate me. And Detective Nichols also is a known associate of Francis Walsh, so he's got a police I believe you mean Peter Fallon. Yeah, that's what I meant. Sorry. <laughs> I, read, I read the notes, yes. <laughs> I've been pouring over such little morsels you guys give me. I'm ever ra- waiting and ready to get on the hunt, the trail. So, we don't know where he is. We can't face him directly. I have no suggestions then, except I do once again stand ready to offer my aid in any way that you need it. I like the unspoken threat there, <laughs> because he stands ready for one of us to take control of him if something were to happen. <laughs> um, there's also the like a connection between Francis Walsh and the Church of Yes, um, what Church of Contemplation? Contemplation. Well, why don't you guys consider it for a moment? And I wonder what Whitmire and Mueller are up to. And he looks over his left shoulder and the camera pans over, (laughs) morphing to the interior of a government office where Mueller (laughs) and Whitmire have just now entered, tracking down what's being done with Ellsworth's property. And here you don't have access to repositories or any such thing. You must rely on the clerks working. Okay. Yeah. So I'll walk up to the clerk at a desk, I guess. Hello. I am... uh, Professor Muller, and this is my associate. I'll let uh, Whitmire say whatever name he wants. <laughs> yeah, I'll just uh, tip my hat to him. So yeah, he takes your when you extend your hand, and he says, "I'm Mister Elliot. Nice to meet you. Uh, what uh, what will you be needing today?" I have come to inquire as to the current state of affairs of a state belonging to Herr. Uh, Oh, you must excuse me, um, Ellsworth? Uh, he passed away some time ago, and Ellsworth. there was no heirs, so the estate has been claimed by the government. Is this, uh, uh Daniel Ellsworth, the councilman? Uh, yes, 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 yeah. And you wanted to know, sorry, what, uh, his public holdings, or which of his holdings have passed to the state? Uh, that as well as, uh, any potential plans. Uh, okay. Yeah, give me uh, just a moment. Um, and what for what purpose did you need this information? 
Uh, I'm doing a... Oh, what is the word? Um, Snapping your fingers, looking to Whitmire. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, I'll do that. uh, (laughs) Do we have a business card yet for Um, (laughs) A&W? Let's see. It's only been, what, a day? Or anything that shows, like, investigators. It's only been a day since we got back, too. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah, so I'll say um, that uh, we are simply... uh, Oh, what's the what is the word? Like I'm actually <laughs> blanking. Like, uh, uh, yeah, let me researching the the possible acquisition of of the yeah, entire estate. real estate. Yes, yes. Thank you. All right, hold on just a sec here. Yes, we are looking to acquire the the ownership of the estate. As where we were sent to appraise it. <laughs> That's probably a little too early for your things to arrive, but I will. Add them anyways, your private investigators' IDs. Is this them working off of, uh, was it the lawyer's license? Yeah, well, they've said he, the lawyer did the paperwork, so now they actually have. They're legit? A legit. That's cool. Firm. Dr. Andrews will be smacking women and (laughs) taking down (laughs) mob bosses in no time. (laughs) Okay. He's smacking women taken down interdimensional hunters. Yeah. Look here, Torch. He's already you're good. doing that. Too good for this world. And you're too good for me. So you need to just skedaddle on down that road and forget that you ever saw Dr. Andrews. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. Get that out of here. Francis Walsh's Michael Corbett. Michael Corbett? Is that what you're jumping to? Yeah. Michael All right, Corbett. Brandon, I shared... Walter. Your Walter. investigator oh, Walter. ID. You shared what? Uh, your investigator ID. Oh, yeah. So you can throw that out. Can I peek it? Yeah. Oh. Nice. You're going to be flipping that out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Walt Andrews, PI. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I took the liberty to pick a photo for you there, John, okay. but you should now be able to see old Jimmy Whitmire. Yeah, uh, so, so these are the basic ones with a small yearly fee that would come directly out of your cash. You guys can, at a later time, file for special consideration to operate with arms. Mm. Oh, okay. After how long? Uh, 90 day uh, as operating as a private investigator firm. Or you should just be a foreigner. I operate <laughs> with a concealed weapon at all times. And I even have a license to kill. All right. So, yeah, you come up with your explanation and you, and then Whitmire is, I don't know if you wanted to pull out your ID at this point. We'll say they came in the mail that morning. Be a quick turnaround for 1920s, I think. But but he he doesn't have any issue. He doesn't hold off and he goes off. And you guys are left, you know, just shooting the breeze for maybe 15 minutes. And then he comes back with a paper describing Daniel Ellsworth Ellsworth's holdings. So he puts up his reading glasses and it says, so it looks like at the time of Mr. Ellsworth's passing, he held one property in its entirety and a sizable stake in another one. It appears his property was his home. He left to the state in his will to use as they see fit and currently that is in development, but no concrete plans have been made. Mm-hmm. 
He also had a sizable stake in the uh, Wilbur Theater. He was a, a main investor during its construction. Um, the state opted to sell that off to the other partner. And who was that? Uh, looks like uh, Daniel Greer and all other assets, automobiles, and the like were liquidated in an estate sale, and that money just went into the state fund. So it was uh, the Wilbur Theater? Yes. And who was the other owner or stakeholder? Daniel Greer is now the sole owner. Thank you. All right, and then he had some cars and... Yeah, they were all sold off, and that money just went into the state fund. Don Kishen, uh, you have been most helpful. Uh, would you have any other uh, questions for the dear clerk? I'll gesture to Whitmire. No. For your investigation. I, uh, I think that we've got everything that we need here. All right. I'll stand up and uh, offer my hand again. He shakes it. Thank you. Have a good day, gentlemen. And to you. So, yeah, leaving the government offices, you're there on the streets of Boston with all its lanes and paths heading off in different directions. Now, Meriwether, you know that you guys had made a verbal commitment uh, for dinner this evening with Wayne Nichols, or at least Monroe did. I don't know if you made it on your oh. behalf. But in any case, you it's... We'll say one o'clock, and what would you guys like to do? Uh, how far away is the Wilbur Theater, and how far away are we from uh, Detective Nichols' house? Detective Nichols' house is, he has a nice place on the outskirts of town, north of Cambridge, while the Wilbur Theater lies in the same district that you are in, just south of the Boston Commons. How long would it take us to get to Nichols' house? Hmm. I think it was like an hour journey last time we did that, so we'll stick with that. All right. Um, well, Mr. Mueller, Professor Mueller, I think we have some time to go check out the theater before we head to dinner, mm -hmm. if that no. uh, works for you. Uh, yeah, yes, of course, of course. Uh, yeah, uh, perhaps we can hail a cab or hop onto the trolley, uh, but we do have... Uh, a meeting later on with uh, Detective Nichols and his uh, his wife. Also, there's the matter that me and Hermon Rowe started where we were dousing for other entombed individuals to find the sword fetters. Uh, that's, that's the word I came up for, the thing that binds them to the mortal plane. Uh, we could do that as well. I'll leave it up to you. Um, uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and, uh, hail a cab for us then. All right, my boy. Okay, and where are you speeding off to? Uh, we'll go over to the Wilbur Theater. All right, so we'll pause there with you and see if Dr. Andrews and Mr. Monroe have come up with anything in their discussion with Dr. Call. So yes, he's pledged his service to aid in which way he can although he has offered no ideas on what to do. And the problem still remains of James Clark being kidnapped by two associates of Francis Walsh. And what can be done about that matter? We could contact Detective Nichols. 
Well, we do have a dinner with him tonight, so we can discuss the matter with him then. We know we can trust him, at okay. least. Mm-hmm. Of the police, anyway. Mm-hmm. And he might actually, if he can't do anything officially, he might be able to tell us where um, where to find uh, Doyle and Byrne, and we could savagely torture them to tell us where they took Mr. That's Clark. A surprising statement from a man who's <laughs> taken the Hippocratic Oath. No, no, but I, I understand your you sentiment. Could, not me. I wouldn't participate in that. <laughs> um, right. So the problem is that um, Charlie is innocent. Someone is insistent that he take the fall for this, mm-hmm. and we're trying to stop that. And so we've got a very successful, talented attorney to take on his case. And now that attorney has been abducted by men who work for Francis Walsh, two men who also got arrested delivering illegal booze to the Porcellian Finals Club at Harvard, the Porcellian Finals Club being the ones who actually committed the murder. So there's a connection between Francis Walsh and those boys there. I mean, it's sort of sort of light. I mean, he's just a businessman delivering booze, but for whatever reason, his men tried to intimidate me and have now taken the attorney don't want Charlie to be innocent. So what do we do with that information? What else does that mean? Well, from the conversation that Dr. Well, Professor Mueller and I had with the consortium member, they, which he doesn't know. (laughs) Oh, Oh, he's telling me now what consortium, um, the man that you saw me speaking to in the library, Mm -hmm. uh, possibly has a link to this, Blackman, that uh, this Samuel Blackman, that was the man who had requested the Dream Castle tobacco. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And I believe he's the same man that contacted Whitmire. But Mr. X was the one for the. Uh, this is the one with the tobacco. Wrong oh, shadow. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and he mentioned that they have plans. That could be interrupted, but they were not opposed to having someone else take the fall. We just need to find one of the uh, members that did this that is not important to their organization. Yes. One that shares in the guilt, but is not high enough to uh, to threaten their positions. I see. So who would that be? Well. Because the one boy is missing and only communicates through the radio. And you had mentioned that there was another one that had been part of performing the rituals that went insane, correct? Yes, yes. One went hopelessly insane. Well, the way I see it, it would be not too much of a problem for them to lose someone who was clinically insane. And perhaps we could even get one of the other boys to testify that he was was the culprit behind the the ritual. Yes, that works for me. Have you, gentlemen, considered that all this... (laughs) <laughs> conspiracy surrounding this final club. Is that what you call it? Yeah, the Porcelain Finals yeah. Club. Well, have you considered You know that- what it is. You went to medical school. <laughs> 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 yeah, so that I was... I didn't want to <laughs> brag or, or come off as arrogant. Well, ha- have you considered that this Francis Walsh has some particular interest in pinning it on this person, specifically keeping you guys away from some other location or some other person? 
Yes, sir. Is there any connection? So you what mentioned is, he had that his men were seen mm-hmm. at the club. Yeah, so there must be a connection between those boys and Francis Walsh. Let me look through my notes. Well, something does strike my memory. It's something from those clippings I gave you. Yes. One of the typo articles, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yes, so what do we have here? Uh, where are you? Yeah, so the Beantown Corruption Alliance. Yeah, he points at that one. Yes, that's the one. Yeah, William Murrow's son was perf- uh, uh, it was a baptism, and Francis Walsh was in attendance. And he was named godfather to little William Murrow Jr. Well, not so little anymore. That's the September 1901 edition. Right. And so is that boy part of that club? Did I not notice that name amongst the group? Well, some of the names that Beckett listed over the radio transmission transmission were garbled behind radio static. Mm-hmm. So you didn't get that name specifically. Well, it couldn't hurt to look into that. Uh, so Betty, then, perhaps she'll know. If he was friends with her boyfriend, then maybe she'll know the name. So I'll just grab her out of the closet and ask her... <laughs> she's an NPC, so she's wherever we need her to be. But yeah, that I can contact Betty and ask if she knows. Yeah, you had traded information once she offered her help, and she had to go on to her own life because she wanted you to reach out to her if she could be of help. Yes. Um, let me look. Uh, okay. So the names I know from the original ceremony were Cole... Bishop Wallace Bowers and Wade Hoffman. And those are the ones I have. So that's the only ones I know. So we'll have to check with Betty to see who else might have been involved. Give her a shake and a smack. Yeah. Uh, But something needs to be done about Mr. Clark's abduction, too. What should we do about that? Is it sane? to wait until dinner tonight to tell Detective Nichols, or should we try to contact him right now? Uh, Not to make a judgment about any of you or your acquaintances, but that Mr. Whitmire, friend of yours, struck me as uh, a little oily. Does he know these people? Does he know how to operate? He definitely would know the kind of people that know these kind of people. Yes. But I haven't. I haven't seen him or heard from him after since the battle with the interdimensional hunter that was a hulking insect crustacean <laughs> ape-like creature that we fought with. Hmm, some escaped zoo animal? No, no, it is it came yes, it, some some sort of No, it came through a singularity, as you know. Oh, Eddie I think I've read about all that. about it. <laughs> Yeah, I actually should say that Dr. Call has been like like exclaiming this entire time as you guys touch on the, the otter aspects of your investigation, you know, like wanting to know more. But uh, he, he's kept his cool while you guys keep focused, you know, not drawing you off into some conversation about some other aspect. But he's positively vibrating in place with excitement at all these terms. So now that I remember after having thought about it, one of the fraternity brothers had been sent to Danvers Mental Hospital and a professor named Ronan Jarvis, a professor of anthropology, had also disappeared around the same time. But this is in my journal, and I don't know if that's information that was erased 
by the changing timeline. Um, your journal remains the same. Okay. But your memory is slightly different. Right. So we'll have to see if we can get a hold of Whitmire to see about rescuing Mr. Clark. We should definitely get a hold of De- yes. Detective Nichols so that he can start on the official side of it, at least see what can be done. At the very least, he might be able to provide us with local, the known hangouts of Walsh's men. Is, is there any other things we should be doing? The only and we got to get a hold of Betty. Potentially think of is uh, perhaps Ben McCracken has some information that could be useful for us in this matter as well. Yeah, he uh, might. His resources seem to extend beyond our own as well. All right. Uh, I will go send the telegram to Betty that we need her to contact us. And I'll at the same time send one to Detective Nickel. Do you know how to get a hold of Whitmire? Because I don't know how to get a hold of him. No, I'm afraid that uh, he is a rather difficult one to track down when he doesn't want to be found. Um. In the meantime, Dr. Cole uh, and Dr. Anders, perhaps you, you have another idea, but perhaps Dr. Call could go to Danvers and meet with this young man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that had been, that was from Harvard, that had been sent there and see if, uh, if he is of a state of mind that he may be able to stand trial or if he says anything in regards to anything that may be tied to the case. Dr. Call, do you... Do you think that's something that you could do? And do you think maybe you could get your your colleague and friend, um, who's Charlie's current doctor, to go with you and provide his opinion, his professional opinion? You can count on me, although I'm not sure if Dr. Powell will be available. But nevertheless, I shall journey forth and find the answers you seek. Yes, particularly if he manages to mention details of of the situations of the crime that uh, even in in passing lunacy that would otherwise not be known. Then I will depart, gentlemen. Thank you, Dr. Call. We appreciate you very much. I will be in touch before nightfall. If you don't hear my me hear from me by then, call the president. <laughs> and he leaves. <laughs> so with your you guys have sorted out a rough plan there, so we'll pop over to the other half of our group to close out the session as you guys are before the Wilbur Theater, which is a nice, large, sprawling theater of modern construction. It was built uh, less than 10 years ago, and there on the marquee, you can see that they're currently, they have some Shakespeare going there, doing a Hamlet reenactment. And um, you have that kind of old-style glass box that the ticket taker stands in and currently nobody's streaming in or out it appears as though there's something going on i will mention i'll mention to uh professor mueller that uh this theater is uh purportedly haunted by a specter that likes shakespearean plays well of course it is it is most likely was a small fetter of hair Oh, what was his name? Ellsworth is located. Oh, so there's another entombed spirit, Wittmeyer. Now we should go about trying to locate it. Just uh, 
keep them occupied if the need arises. Um, I'll, uh, I will break off and circle the place, see what type of entry points there are. Yeah, so since it has um, it's a modern construction, it's been brought up to the fire code of the day, which means there's one t- tiny little door on the back entrance, probably chained close <laughs> with no clear route how to get there. No, you have a double door for bringing in uh, entries to the restaurant part of the theater that, you know, delivers the food and drink there to people's booths and chairs and whatnot. You would expect of all the days to not wear my workers' clothes. <laughs> I think I'll walk up to the ticket booth and I'll, oh. uh, uh, Guten Tag. Uh, I am Professor Muller. I would like to speak to the um, manager of this establishment. I am conducting experiments and I would like permission to uh, wander around the premises. Well, there's currently a play running. I doubt very much you'll be able to wander, but you could just buy a ticket and go inside. Oh, very well, but I would I would not want to have, uh, uh, attempt any sort of secrecy. I would like to be open that I am uh, conducting experiments into the supernatural, such as ghosts. And I hear that this place is rather haunted. Oh, have you? I, I hadn't heard that. Of course, I just started here a week ago. What is the rumor? Um, I don't know too much about it, but for the most part, it seems to be a spectre that has an appreciation for Shakespeare. Hmm. And I thought that was rather curious and uh, a good chance to disprove such things exist. Yeah, the... Uh, I'll uh, give him a smile. <laughs> uh, here's your ticket, sir. <laughs> I'll write your name down and um, I'll, perhaps you should wait. After the show, and uh, the manager will speak with you. I also have a companion, so if need be, I'll know the ticket for him. Okay, fair. and what is his name? Wittmeyer. All right, I will keep a lookout. Tonkeschen. All right, that way. Ah, yep. I believe it's an intermission. Or no, sorry, we haven't quite started yet, so you have a few minutes to get your to your seat. Okay. So, um, Wittmeyer, what are you doing at the back there? So what type of activities at the back right now? Uh, currently, they have one of the doors propped open, and uh, you see a gentleman, one man loading, you know, milk crate type boxes in into that door, and you hear right. you know a clatter come out from inside. So I'll uh, I'll take my vest off and find somewhere relatively well, hopefully safe to put it. Roll okay. up my sleeves and go grab a crate and. Uh, yeah, I hoist it up on the shoulder to to block the face and try and walk in. Okay. So you walk in with that crate and you're, you know, making your way into this unfamiliar back room, storage room, into a kitchen area. And you're starting to head one direction and somebody starts hauling you and you're like, no, those got to go down that way. Uh, but first, let me get your credit rating or appearance rule. And you want to fail this one, actually. <laughs> So you can decide based off that. All right. So ditching the jacket was a good move. Although you, if he had looked close enough, you would see that your shirt is a little too uh, white and well-pressed to pass for a workman's. But he didn't look close enough, and he sends you off down some pathway uh, to drop this off. He just says it's the third door on the right, 
just leave it in there for now. And as you proceed down that hallway, you begin to feel a tingling sensation at your temples and the center of your forehead, even as Mr. Mueller feels the same thing as he works his way down into the auditorium to his seat. Yeah, you feel that rising tension that you've come to associate with these holy sites, mm-hmm. Mr. Mueller. Ah, uh, this is most definitely built on a ley line. And there's a, l- a bunch of babble and chatter. You know, people haven't all gotten to their seats. They're sort of milling around and, and talking. And there are like the owner's box uh, down near the stage. And then they have the higher ones up for for VIPs and such to buy. And Whitmire, are you going to continue on that way or try to split off in a different direction? You can hear the hum yeah. of activity coming from where you think the auditorium is. All that all right. buzz of voices. I'll go and I'll drop that crate off and then uh, you know, roll the sleeves back down and um, curse for myself for not not trying to uh, hang on to that, that vest. Um, well, you could say... Are, uh, there, are there any jackets or anything around this area? <laughs> like, like a coat room? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, well, let's get a navigate roll from you. We'll see if you can... You know, some of these places, there you go. Or a waiter. Yeah. yeah. Not a waiter, but a <laughs> usher. Yeah. You, you have, um, you think you know roughly where the coat room is located, but as you're kind of traveling nearer to the auditorium, you do see a waiter's jacket just hung up on a hook there that might do the job if the interior of the theater is dim anyways. All right. Yeah. I'll, I'll grab that and uh, with uh more confidence uh start walking down those down the that back hallway there okay uh, looking for sure. anywhere that might uh either doesn't have a lot of noise coming from it or uh you know like telltale you know no access or employees only okay so on that front let's get a group luck roll the worst between the two of you oh um i've got a 45 47 so Jono's rolling with Myers roll. <laughs> oh, congratulations. All right. So yeah, you're moving away from all this activity and you're coming to like a quiet place, uh, which resolves itself to be a door, but we'll pause with you there for a moment and go back to Mueller as everybody begins to seat themselves and the house lights go down and there's this hive of activity just before the play begins and the curtain goes up and then it's act one of Hamlet. So there you have these two centuries discussing that there's a ghost that resembles the late King Hamlet. Mm. And then that ghost appears and there you see somebody in heavy makeup, but they're very thin for an actor, you know, like uh, almost skeletal. And you're not quite sure how they attain the special effects, but this ghost's eyes blaze a ghastly shade of yellow as it delivers its lines. And then the play carries on. Um, Give me a spot hidden roll. Uh, <laughs> nice. All right. Okay. Uh, how'd you do? Oh, extreme success. It's a good night for you guys. <laughs> I haven't been able to get one of these traps to land. <laughs> this is absurd. All right. So you're casting around looking at the people who are here and you see in one of those elevated boxers, a trio of men. This is as like torches are flaring in the, in the uh, production itself. And you see a trio of men up in this box and shadows 
reptilian shadows casting behind them on the curtains behind them. But they don't seem to be looking at you, but that's just something that you note. So, Mr. I forgot your name, Whitmire, there you at this door at the end of this hall that it all is quiet beyond it. All right. Does I'll give it a uh, look around real quick, make sure no one's in the area or watching, and then I'll try the door, see if it's unlocked. It is locked. I will try to uh, pick it. Okay. Just a regular locksmith. Holy. That's his second one. It's <laughs> <laughs> critical. Two, this means two, that when I get down to day. the end, when I get down to the end of whatever's behind this door, <laughs> Opposite that's time. when it's going to fail. As you're picking it, you hear, like, suddenly two voices pick up in, in conversation, and you hear one say, I don't think they've been here yet. And another says, Good, but we must remain vigilant. And then you hear them carry on, although their their uh, discussion is somehow manages to seem like it's drifting away. And then you hear the clank of something close, like a door or maybe a cabinet door, although there's a metallic ring to it. But then it's quiet for a few beats. Are you going to press into the room? Is that that's coming from behind the doorway? Right. All right. Uh, I'll give it another... I'll give it another 30 count, and then I'll, if I don't hear anything, I'll press in. Okay. So, you open the door, maybe peeking in first, and what you see is a smallish room, you know, maybe 15 feet across. And on a desk is, well, it looks like nothing more than a safe, although there are strange markings all around it. And that is all that is in the room. And that's where we'll okay. end today. <laughs> Thank you. And pick it up next time. Thanks for playing, guys. Thanks for getting us, man. We can do our luck rolls and skill rolls. All right, luck roll. Nope. I stopped it on hard. That would have been a success. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no luck. This has been a Death Watch production. Thank you for listening. Thank you.